Today we did something a little bit different where we flew to Miami to speak with the vice president of engagement in America's fourth largest university to talk about traditional education versus vocational schools. Um, you know, we all know that student loans are at an all-time high in the trillions and people are seeking alternatives, but college is still important and it's very key to highlight what college is doing to thrive in a tech-driven world, which is why uh, we spoke with Saif, who goes in on the differentiated learning pathways, um, how they are adopting um, their models in order to prepare people from a technological perspective, what colleges are doing for job placement, uh, side hustles, human APIs, and and talk deeply about the GitHubization of skills, which is a term that he coined. Um, this episode is more macroeconomic and strategic versus tactical, but there's a lot of key players that are highlighted in this episode that's important for you to take note. Um, and even if you are not looking for your first job, it's important for you to understand these shifts, uh, whether you're in a hiring position or in a management position or, or even in the executive level as a CEO, because these institutions are training your talent and it's going to be key related to the future of work. Um, if this is the first time you're listening to the Breaking Stars podcast, you know that we we dis demystify what's going on in the tech-driven world. We work with several colleges like San Francisco State University. Uh, we help people that are learning how to code by matching them with the appropriate um, boot camps and, and forms of education that are the best for them and give them the right support network that they need to thrive, not just before and during the boot camp, but also for the rest of their life. And if you haven't liked our page on Facebook right now, do it. If you haven't joined the community, make sure you do that as well. And if you like this episode, please share it with your friends. And I think something that's important to highlight that came up during our office hours this week, which we have every Friday, by the way, is that people are not reaching out to the guests on the podcast. I think it's important to note that on every single podcast, people share their contact information. And you can go back through the almost 100 episodes that we've released and listen for things that are personal to your story, reach out to them and tell them what jumped out to you and why you want to connect with them. And they'll probably respond. And if they don't, guess what? You could contact me, Archer Timor Patrick, which is Ruben, R-U-B-E-N at BreakingStars.com, A-R-T-U-R-T-I-M-U-R-P-A-T-R-I-C-K at BreakingStars.com. And without further ado, let's break in. Growing up, we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table. Get in the end. 10X. Yo, 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 this is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies, Archer and Timor Meister. And this is the Breaking Stars podcast. Timor, can you please tell the people what we're doing today? Yes. Yeah, so today we're actually are in South Beach, Miami. This is pretty unusual for us because a lot of the episodes that we have done, they've all been recorded in person in San Francisco. And we've done some episodes remote, but this is the first time that we're actually on the ground outside of California with our guests. And we're about to ask some tough questions. Before Ruben introduces the guests, though, I just want to talk about the powers of the DM, of the Twitter DM. <laughs> so Ruben got introduced to our guest by Raul from the Knight Foundation Shout out to Raul. Um, through Twitter. And now we're sitting here in person. So for anyone listening and who wants to get connected to our guest, definitely take advantage of that power because it's in your hands. Within a click or two, you could be speaking to anyone in the world. So without further ado, Ruben, can you please introduce the guest? Yes, I can. Like Timo said, it goes down in the DM for sure. And this is also very unusual because we have two special guests, one in traditional education that's also a successful founder and one that's in radio. I'll start off with Saif. Uh, so Saif is the VP of engagement at Florida International University, and he's also a leader in the future of work. Before this, he started a nonprofit called City Year. He's the founder of a startup, like I said before. He's runs family businesses before that. And he, even though he works at Florida International University, he got his JD from University of Miami and he also went to Georgetown. But what's most important is that 
Miami bleeds through his veins through and through. He is one of the most knowledgeable and connected and inspiring and exciting people that I've ever met in my life. So really, really honored to have him here. And before welcoming him and going into that, I want to highlight the importance of radio, which is part of the reason why we started the podcast is because people outside of tech don't read tech news. And radio is still the strongest way to reach people that are in the community that we want to reach. So I want to give Alice, who is here with us, a second to talk about what she's doing in radio, the program that she's working on, give you some stats of their reach so you all can see how we continue to elevate and reach people and bring everyone together to break into tech. Thank you very much. My show is called Ask Alice and it's being hosted on Kibiscane Radio 94.5 FM in Kibiscane, Florida, also known as Blink Radio. What we do is business, technology, and lifestyle. I come from a very extensive background in media, and now I'm welcoming others to be part of my show. So we're going live now in May, and I'm excited to collaborate with you. Basically, our stats are AA+, plus, you know, 500K and above, uh, combined household income, master PhD levels, and I'm very, very fortunate to have such audience and our, as our live cast, because we're going to do live simulcast multi-platforms so we're able to reach above and beyond our footprint from Kibiskin Radio. So we'll be able to reach around the world and with time have world guests and maybe some San Francisco co-hosts <laughs> with me. <laughs> so stay tuned, stay tuned. Absolutely. And like you all know, like there's over 50 of you all listening. And I know it's all in English, so stay tuned for some interesting developments in the future. So now, welcome Saif, man. Good afternoon. Welcome to the 305. Thank you, man. Thank you. Man. Yeah. So for the people that don't know who Saif is, can you kind of introduce yourself to everybody? Well, Ruben and Timor and Arthur, I'm really excited to be here. I'm from Miami, which means that I was actually born in the Caribbean, made in the 305. Like many people, I'm a proud immigrant. My family is from Guyana. I like to believe that I'm at the crossroads of a lot of different cultures and that my family is from the Caribbean. I'm of Indian ethnicity. My family is Muslim. And I've been heavily informed by the broader Miami Cuban American and Hispanic culture. So I am all of the above as far as arroz con pollo, as well <laughs> as Jamaican patties and a little bit of Indian spicy biryani uh, with a side of cafecito <laughs> and some guarapo if you're not hungry, but which is the Miami story, which is that we're a place that we believe that we love all, serve all, and we're a community that is open to every single human being to find them a space and to affirm them with dignity and their purpose in this world. I think that's like the most culture we've ever had in less than five yeah. minutes on the podcast. Yeah, Dude, so. We're in Miami. What do you expect? <laughs> <We're> Miami. <laughs> this is what we do. This is who we are. I love it. And so for the people that don't know about Miami and the, the we talk a lot about vocational training and boot camps and things like that, but college is still extremely important. Education is really important. Can you talk about just the eco education ecosystem as a whole before we go into the tech ecosystem? Great. South Florida is a unique place. If we break it down by the Tri-County area, Miami, Broward, and Palm Beach, it's this unique ecosystem where we have about one and a half million learners. And we have here in Miami-Dade, the fourth largest university, Florida International University, sitting next to the fourth largest public school system, Miami-Dade County Public Schools, with the largest community college in America. So if you think about the alignment of those learners between the largest community college and similarly, top four university and top four public school system. And the same is replicated at scale in Broward County, as well as in Palm Beach County. So when you aggregate it all, we essentially have the largest, most diverse, continuous learning environment in America. So there are other regions that might be larger, but they might not have the heterogeneity that we have in South Florida. And within that means that we've had to develop a multitude of different models to make sure that every one of those learners is able to get connected to their ultimate potential. And so South Florida is unique because you see a form of collaboration, which is really a function of the culture as a whole, that many of us are from somewhere else, or those of us that are native born are very much a product of whether or not it was the exile following the Holocaust of Jewish families that made South Florida home and have made where we are, Miami Beach, such a rich and beautiful place, or families that were exodus from the Castro regime in Cuba or even families from the Deep South that were really victims of the, the tragedies of Jim Crow. 
So in that, we're this place where you can say the Valley might have a lead in technology, but we've built human APIs that allow interoperability in a way unlike other spaces. Yeah, no, no, you're absolutely correct. And I know when we, when we came in here and for the people that are listening, there's background noise because we're at a conference and this is going down. I think Pitbull's here like doing a conference. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's coming on too. So, <laughs> But um, something that we talked about is that there's a massive labor shift that's coming over the next few years. And I mentioned that in our mind, you know, vocational schools, we're going to be training a lot more people than traditional education, but you kind of corrected us and like mentioned that it's going to be a collaborative thing versus a competitive thing. And that a lot of these four-year universities are doing things in order to prepare themselves for their future work. Can you, can, can you talk a little bit more about that in general and then kind of talk about it specifically for FIU? Sure. So I think what we're seeing in the broader, uh, in the broader educational ecosystem is convergence. And so for us as a public university, we see as our president, Dr. Rosenberg, and I think you guys were able to hear him a little bit earlier on the main stage here at Emerge, we're seeing a convergence of baccalaureate, technical, and career education. And the idea that it's a choice between one versus the other is very much a 20th century frame versus thinking about it in a second half of the 21st century frame, which is the idea that all of us are learners and that we need to be able to maximize our potential through different, different pathways. And the idea of somebody who might be passionate about 18th century East Asian literature, but then at the same time, them unlocking a pathway and maybe doing a win code course in big data analytics. In the 21st century, we have to be a place that provides a multitude of different platforms. Universities like ours are also developing a wide range of those types of course offerings ourselves. I mean, we celebrate partnerships as VP of engagement. I lead on a lot of those partnerships on behalf of our students and faculty. But the idea that there's one singular pathway to realizing your full potential, I think is very arcane. It's just not where we're at. Yeah, and I, lo- I love the point that you, you mentioned about um, having that well-rounded experience. Because even though we talk a lot about boot camps and the alternative education space, a lot of the people who go through boot camps do have the traditional four-year degrees. So we're still in the very early stages to kind of figure out what is that balance and how can we create something that complements the two. Because I think you mentioned something yesterday is that even though there's all these alternative education boot camps out there, as a parent. What do you tell your, your son or daughter? On one hand, you want to be able to send them kind of the path that will provide them with a good job and a good salary once they graduate. On the other hand, you also want them to get a well-rounded experience, not just in business, but also in literature, English, history. So by the time they turn 22, they're a well-rounded adult. So we're definitely going to have to see how the whole society adjusts and how everyone kind of figures out what is that right model for that specific person. I think yesterday you also talked about how we're all different learners. The way we absorb information is differently. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I mean, I think that, and that's such a really good point that you made tomorrow when we were chatting yesterday, is this idea that we have to create differentiated learning pathways. We are not a one-size-fits-all world anymore as it pertains to educational content. The way that you learn and the way that I learn and the way somebody like my daughter learns is going to be very different. I took a little bit of notes listening to the podcast with the founder of Mission U, and I loved everything that they're doing. Shout out to Adam. And Adam's yeah. doing great work. And institutions like ours, we're public institutions. FIU is the fourth largest university in America, we're the largest Hispanic serving institution. Mission U, which I respect and I love the learning model he's creating, which is about personalized educational pathways. And he talks about, you guys asked about profile student. He talked about a very Silicon Valley-like phrase. He talked about psychographic profile. For us as a public institution, we're, we're one of the largest minorities serving. We still embrace demography. We still embrace culture. And so we realized that our demography is destiny. So it is about a demographic profile that is overwhelmingly a Hispanic institution with large percentages of students that are African-American, Afro-Caribbean, and global backgrounds. And so we see that as a strength. And having spent some time in the Valley a couple of months ago, recently with my president, Dr. Rosenberg, what was clear was things that were chalked up as challenges in the Valley, their deficits are strengths of institutions like ours. And that strength is really around diversity. And I think a wider range of learners that have a sense of empathy, that's going to really be definitive of what the future looks like in the second half of the 21st century. Yeah. Yeah. And as, to continue on the FIU track, and you talked about the education ecosystem as a whole. What are some other reasons why you specifically chose to do your engagement work at FIU? So I think that FIU is a frame for what's happening in the bigger South Florida ecosystem. 
we're plugged in, again, going with that notion of software of an API, we're plugged in with our K-12 system. We have a strategic partnership with our Miami-Dade County Public Schools, which has resulted now in dual enrollment offerings where high school kids are able to take university courses for full credit at zero cost to their family. For the entire state of Florida, those instances of dual enrollment represent 67% of dual enrollment in the state of Florida. So you can imagine families that are like ours, like all of us that are here, that might not have had an opportunity to be able to get us to schools that are able to offer university classes for credit, we have been able to flip that on its head completely. And then similarly with our community college partners, Miami-Dade College, Broward College, we've been able to create pathway programs. So there's complete alignment. And some of us who've been through the community college grind, my wife, somebody I use as an example, where you take a class and then maybe it doesn't transfer in. We've created what's called seamless articulation here in the state of Florida. So that if you take that English class, English 101 doesn't disappear if you transfer into FIU or another university. It is stacked and is a pathway to something else. So we've really gone into that. And so for me, I became part of the team because of the leader, Dr. Rosenberg, and because of the mission, this idea of an institution that's willing to embrace and lean into both the challenges that exist in the community and being able to co-create solutions that are going to be definitive of South Florida's future. Yeah. And so it sounds like FIU is innovating and keeping up with a lot of things when it comes to these rapid paces of technologies, but a lot of universities are not. You've you dropped a lot of gems with us today and earlier around like the GitHubization of skills and Correct. career API. Can you kind of like explain what that is and, and kind of break down tactics that other four-year institutions or community colleges can adopt in order to keep up with the pace of technology or partner with other people so that they don't get left behind? Sure. I mean, I think that a big part of it for us is we think about GitHub and we all of us that are coders and I still, I keep my hands a little bit on the zeros and ones because of my daughter, Rania, <laughs> and my son, Nabil. And I just got to watch them because if you don't know it, they'll pull you into a crypto trade and, or, or start selling Pokemon on the global trading system in a way that it really is marvelous when you think about Gen Z in contrast to my millennial friends. But I think that institutions like ours are thinking about peer-based platforms like GitHub, where you have to show your code and your ranking on GitHub is going to help you determine whether you get a gig at uh, Microsoft or Uber or Google, that how do you disaggregate those competency-based modalities for other areas, big data analytics, even into things that go into the liberal arts, thinking about how effective are you as a communicator? How effective are you as a writer? We need our engineers to become stronger empaths and we need our, our liberal arts folks to become stronger in those areas that might be considered the harder uh, science and STEM related areas. So we've done a lot of work around that. And one of the things that we did that I, I didn't share with you guys, but I felt like it nails it. College algebra oftentimes becomes a valley of death for young people as they're going into college. And we looked at it as an institution and we realized that we had essentially a 70% fail rate and a 30% pass rate wow. in college algebra. So what do we do? We hacked together a solution. We bought the best minds together to think about we can do better in, in, at this stage in the world. And we looked at it and we created a STEM transformation institute. I have a colleague by the name of Dr. Laird Kramer, who's actually a physicist. And he realized that he could take his passion and what he's done in physics and re-engineer how math is taught. In less than 18 months, we we're able to uh, flip around that pass-fail rate from 70% fail, 30% pass to a 70% pass, 30% So what did you guys do differently? <laughs> so we, we, we went back to that idea of differentiated learning pathways. We, we realized that humans matter, mm -hmm. that, that we created a cadre of learning assistants that were able to provide that high-octane interventional tutoring and mentoring, which is something I have a sense about in my prior journey helping to lead an organization like City Year. But in a collegiate setting, we all know that the one-on-one -on -one or small group instruction, creating something which are called active learning classrooms, that you can really, really change the delivery arc and also setting expectations higher of instructors that they need to be there in the journey. And so our faculty are extraordinary. They stepped up to the challenge and now we've turned around and we've open sourced it and we've opened it up to our K-12 partners so that during the weekends, if kids in high schools in our region want to be able to come and access that math learning laboratory, math mastery lab, they can get in because we should not be holding ourselves back from democratizing the ability of every single yeah. person to maximize yeah. their full potential. And I think it's interesting to see that in tech, there's a lot of very smart minds who are building rocket ships. They're working on these like super innovative next level ideas. When in reality, if you just look in your own community, 
like you said, there's a lot of people who can't even like acquire the basic literacy skills that will give them prosperity in their careers. So I love the fact that what you guys are doing is kind of rethinking and asking the question, why? Like, why are we teaching in the same way if this many people are failing and what can we do differently? Which is also the model you described is also similar to how coding boot camps teach their students these very complex like coding skills. So instead of you sitting in a lecture for hours and then going home and working on projects on your own, they flip that model on its head. So you spend maybe 30 minutes in lectures just kind of getting introduced to a concept, kind of going overview of what the problems are for the day. And then for the rest of the day, for about eight to nine hours, you're there pair programming with your friend and you're teaching each other. And that just alone not only helps you like retain information better, but it creates a sense of community and camaraderie amongst the people where it kind of enforces the notion of, hey, you can actually teach someone else. And it's not just enough for you to learn something, but you also have to make sure your partner understands it before you can move on. So totally. yeah, I, love, and I, I love that. I love what you guys are doing too. And, and it's the idea of how do you instill that growth around mindset? There's a famous psychologist, Carol Dweck, in her seminal book, Mindset, that talks about that. And it's really about getting young minds and really all minds to embrace that. It's not crash and burn, it's crash and learn. And that's essentially, we consider the Silicon Valley ethos of iterate, 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 pivot, mm-hmm. that in higher ed, we can do the same. And when you spend time with somebody like Dr. Rosenberg, our president, we spend time with our provosts, our deans, that's where they're at. So they're pushing the envelope. They understand that utilizing models that worked to educate one domain of America in the first half of the 20th century or you know, around World War II, that we've got a, a universe now of infinite learners, and we need to be able to essentially understand how it is we can access the cognitive pathways of people, which is going to be different depending upon human being and be able to maximize their ability to learn and absorb information. And I think one thing that I kind of see in people that that are successful around me, they have a lot of grit, they have a lot of passion for what they do. They have a huge perseverance for challenges. And I'm wondering, like, since you're an educator and you probably see so many students who might struggle and like they're struggling on math problems that they think they're just not good at math. But in reality, a few years ago, they just probably weren't taught but the, the concepts at the foundational level properly. And now they're having problems years later and blaming themselves for these issues. So I'm curious to hear kind of how you guys are addressing like educational challenges that may have started when they were much younger in like third, fourth grade. And now they're hitting roadblocks in, like you mentioned, in algebra and other subjects. And instead of pushing through those roadblocks, they're giving up and dropping out of those courses. So first of all, public institutions like ours, we don't give up on anybody. And whether or not a student is wearing an FIU logo on their t-shirt or not, we, our president says again and again, and I actually put it up on the walls of our office, we are not asking for a lighter load, we're asking for broader shoulders. So we are unwilling to give up on any child, any learner. And so whether that's our direct participation or partnership with our K-12 system or participation with a community college, quick story, a number of years ago, there was a challenge that existed in several inner city high schools that around the high school graduation rate. And you should also note that we have the most renowned superintendent of our K-12 system in the United States. He has GOAT status forever and ever, Superintendent Alberto Carvalho, who is a friend and mentor and a dear partner of ours at FIU. So we as FIU, Dr. Rosenberg leaned in and said, we're going to create, we're going to bring to bear the full resources of universities to support the efforts of the superintendent in the school system in those schools, Miami Northwestern Senior High being the first one in Liberty City and the second one being Booker T. Washington in the historic Overtown community. And we brought philanthropy and J.P. Morgan Chase for Miami Northwestern and Lenar Corporation, which is a major home developer for Booker T. And we're able to partner with the school system and bring to bear a faculty, professional development, and other college-going pathways for students to be able to help them move the needle. And the school, because of its amazing teachers at MDCPS, were able to move the needle on high school graduation rates and now flipped it around. And both of those schools in part to our efforts, but really because of the transformational work of the teachers and the students and the families. Now, those, both of those schools are A schools, and we continue that project now into a third feeder pattern in Little Haiti, where we're now starting with an elementary school going all the way up, up through the feeder pattern because a philanthropist by the name of Roselyn Green stepped up and said, I'm willing to, to channel my philanthropy to transform a neighborhood in Little Haiti. Yeah, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, it also sounds like these high-octane tutors that you're bringing into these active classrooms are also getting a sense of who they are, 
what their learning style is and specifically uncovering issues that people have when they're stuck to get them unstuck in order so that they could identify their best learning strategy in order to overcome those roadblocks that they had historically in order to succeed. Is that That's correct. I mean, it's the idea of the duality of service, the idea that for everything that we think that we're giving, truthfully, we're actually unlocking something that is so much deeper and so much more. And when I think about our FIU students and all of the different ways in which they're engaged and connected to our community, just this past weekend, our neighboring school is a school by the name of Sweetwater Elementary, which is a lower income Hispanic neighborhood. And we partnered up with Comcast, as well as my former organization, City Year, and we did a transformational day of service out there. And we had tens and dozens of FIU students that were out there serving. And we're getting into finals right now. We're at a really crucial time. And the students recognize the sense of responsibility for the world at large. And that, again, is a demonstration of the value statement. Majority of our students themselves are first gen. Majority of them work full or part-time. And still, they see the possibility and potential within the students in the neighborhood that's right adjacent to us. And I think that's what leadership 21st century is all about. It's about when you knew what you knew, what did you do? Did you step up? And that's what we're seeing with our student body in so many ways, education being one of them. Yeah. And I remember when I graduated and I was applying for entry-level jobs, everybody asked for like three years of experience and things like that. And it's weird because like I just graduated, right? And the workforce or a lot of companies are trying to attract talent but a lot of times don't hire junior talent, but some companies identify the importance of apprenticeships and colleges are starting to recognize the importance of apprenticeships and supplying talent for them. So can you talk a little bit about the people that have started to hit on successful approaches to apprenticeships and partnerships with traditional four-year universities and public institutions? That's a great, great question. I mean, we really started, we reversed it all the way around, reverse engineered it, which is that We partnered up with the Economic Development Agency in South Florida, all seven academic institutions. And we said there has to be a better way to create a seamless pipeline between the industry and academy. And so we created something which is unique in this country, which is that all seven academic institutions, K-12, public university, community college, private universities, Catholic universities came together. And we said, we're going to have one portal called the Talent Development Network. We're going to get some philanthropy to underwrite it. And we're going to make it seamless so that if you're looking for a graphic designer, you can post to TDN and you'll be able to unlock opportunities with students that are looking for those those types of paid internships. And we were specific. We want paid internships. We're then able to leverage our economic development agency and say, let's get these member companies to realize that instead of just posting full-time employee positions, Ruben, like the one you mentioned, you're coming out of college and they're asking for three years. What about instead of doing that? You take one FTE position and you fracture it up into four paid internships and you create a scenario where you're able to try before you buy. And students are able to get an experiential learning pathway that really develops them. There's nothing wrong with folding t-shirts at the Gap or Mm -hmm. flipping burgers or in the case of Miami, maybe making vaca frita. Uh, (laughs) But there's nothing wrong with that at all. But you'd be better off if you're studying psychology to be able to have an internship working at a design firm may be helping to lead on things like design thinking, which yeah, is something yeah. a psychology student can do. So we created this paid internship portal. It's very unique because when we walk around and we're sitting there with startups or others, we're moving beyond one institutional brand to say, are you willing to invest in rising talent? Which yeah. I think is, again, part of the ethos of Miami, which is that we want to move everyone forward, which is why we've seen in so many dimensions, exponential growth in South Florida, which is why I think talent and capital is arriving here, which is one of the beauties of South Florida, in addition to our weather and just extraordinary yeah. people that call this place home. Yeah. I love the fact that you talked about, I guess, all the, what the companies are doing to provide people with internships. I think yesterday you also mentioned that what happens to Miami is that a lot of the students who will get that computer science degree, they get offers from companies in Silicon Valley for much higher salaries. So what are you guys doing to keep the talent in Miami working here and reinvesting into the ecosystem? So I think one of the things that's happening is that we're recognizing that we're living in the world of the side hustle Mm -hmm. and that you might have an opportunity where you're working in a large health system, which is great, but that you might want to also build your own company and you might want to be an entrepreneur or you might want to be, I'll use as an example, my wife is somebody that is connected to a lot of the young women in this community that are beauty influencers. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't realize that Miami is essentially sitting on this bubble of both aesthetic beauty, but also a cadre of female entrepreneurs that have been able to build essentially beauty empires. And I don't mean it in any sense around just the aesthetics. I mean, as far as commercializing lip liners, the next type of brush, 
the type of next type of palette. And these are entrepreneurs. So, but when you chat with them, and I, as I do when we're at places like Venture Cafe or other networking spaces in the evening, you'll find out that they're also a commercial real estate broker, or you'll find out that they're an analyst at an accounting firm. So I think that truthfully, South Florida is a place where we're going to encourage that. And you're going to find companies that are willing to say 80% of your time, pour it all in and deliver 100% of the outcomes that are in your job description. 20% of the time, if we want to make investments in your leadership potential, we're going to do so. And our community has a number of those different pathways available. And the other really unique thing is, look, we're sitting at Emerge Americas. It was founded by a gentleman who sold his company, Terramark, to Verizon for over a billion dollars, Manny Medina. Manny Medina is one of Miami's first certified billion-dollar-plus exits. This gentleman has gone on to now create a number of companies, including the conference that we're at. Miami is the only community that I'm willing to bet where there are more young people that have mentors that are near billionaires or billionaires than any other market. I've had times when I've gone to have check-ins with folks like Manny Medina or I've had meetings with the mayor and other key leaders and walking out as a young person that I know from the community that's 23, 24, and you'll say to them, hey, what's going on? They said, oh, I just had a check-in with Manny Medina. I don't think that that's happening in other ecosystems where you're seeing leaders at a transformational level opening themselves up and making themselves accessible. So for that young leader, she might have a degree in finance and she graduated from FIU or another university and she might be able to get a gig in the Valley or New York. She knows that if she stays in South Florida, as she's cultivating whatever is that other side project that she's developing, maybe it's developing a network of financial advisors that are able to work with families, or maybe they might have a special needs sibling and they want to be able to develop a nonprofit. South Florida is an ecosystem of builders. That's why this place was able to rapidly move forward in the last 40 years in a way that Chicago might be, its strength might be that it's the most American of American cities. South Florida's strength is in contrast that we're the least American of American cities. <laughs> and that's the reason why our growth mirrors that of hyper growth regions like Hong Kong, like Singapore, like Mumbai, like Dubai, parts of West Africa that are just moving at a clip where it's about millennial talent and it's about activating that talent to mentorship, capital, and also the role that institutions like universities are playing in that knowledge economy. Yeah. And yeah. you mentioned in the pre-chat that you guys have a, like an, an accelerator within the university. Correct. Uh, yeah. Can you talk more about that? And how does someone who's listening to this episode, right. how can they take advantage of that? So we've got a great accelerator at our university called Startup FIU, which is really an interdisciplinary platform that brings together all of our colleges and units and uh, brings many of the best practices that we see from cohorted type programs like Y Combinator, Techstars, and others. And we're able to indigenize it to our Miami setting. We even have Startup FIU food which is the only food incubator platform in South Florida, because it's important to note a lot of entrepreneurs in South Florida, they're developing their entrepreneurial game in and around things that are not merely just technology as technology, but might be around food, might be around fashion, creative design, might be around all these other spaces. So our startup FIU program, this cohorted, it's open to students, faculty, alumni, or just anybody from the community. I met these two great entrepreneurs that are building essentially a open platform to position cargo with drivers called Cargo 42. One of them is a Venezuelan-American entrepreneur named Alfredo Carey and his, and his colleagues. And that's what's happening. People are seeing this as a place where bring your Lego blocks, we're going to build together. And that's what's really special. And we're going to support one another. And if we don't have everything we need, we're going to be able to leverage technology to drive the social capital to make those serendipitous connections so people can build, grow, scale faster. Yeah, yeah. I love that you all focus on on food. I don't know if you know, but Archer and I used to cover the food consumer retail industry before. I think our group took um, Natural Grocers public. So I love that you all are, are doubling down on your core competencies. Competencies, But before going into builders and, and tech ecosystem, can you talk a little bit about some of the students that went through FIU that have gone on to work at at startups and broken the startups or, right. or larger tech companies? So I want to tell a story of a student that our president himself directly connected with and engaged and helped to mentor. There's a student who came into FIU named Daniela Bernal and was really interested in following a career in aviation and rocket sciences, rocket science. And so one day early on in her freshman year, she runs into President Rosenberg and he asked her, what do you want to do? And she said, I want to work for SpaceX. I want to work for Elon Musk. And Dr. Rosenberg, having been a professor and academic and higher ed leader, he looked at the, the student, he, he, in his mind, he was, yeah, this is absolutely going to happen. And he stayed in touch with her over the course of her journey. Somewhere approaching what would have been her senior year, he was asking a, another one of our colleagues, hey, has anybody heard from Danielle? 
And they did some checks and it turned out that she was working in Silicon Valley. She'd gotten an opportunity with SpaceX and she was indeed working with Elon Musk as a rocket scientist. And she helped to build an award-winning competitive program of ours in our avionics and aviation club and rocket club for our institution, which went on to be very competitive, but that she also was able to follow her pathway. I also think about a number of other young people that are entrepreneurs we have, a stu- we have two students, one named Tara Demarin, who's of Turkish heritage, who's worked with a number of different startups and is herself now built a media platform doing work in similar regard to like what Breaking Into Startups is doing and called Tea Time with Tara. And there's another entrepreneur named Gregory Johnson, who was able to, on one end, now have an extraordinary opportunity of, for Caribbean heritage, helping to work in the startup ecosystem as a software engineer, teaches growth hacking on the side to make money. And he takes that money and reinvests it for coding boot camps for uh, low-income kids in the neighborhood in which he grew up in. So you think about the virtuous cycle of people like Gregory Johnson, people like Tara Demarin, people like Danielle Bernal. That's who we are. And quite frankly, if we had to make a bet on the future and what it's going to look like in 2060, I'm going to bet on young minds like Daniela and Gregory and Tara because if we equip them with the skills that they need to be competitive in a rapidly changing world, and we're able to supercharge them with the social capital they need to be able to scale, achieve, and succeed, and ensure that they have the support resources that if they can, they can crash and learn really quickly and they can get right back up, then I think that we're going to be able to have a much better run than other ecosystems. And in a world of competition, I feel much more comfortable about our long-term sustainability as an ecosystem than other ecosystems that are trying to win the last century's war. Yeah, and I keep bringing back uh, our conversation yesterday, but you mentioned about um, the mindset of what if you were the last uh, employee at a blockbuster? Correct. Before, not as it was going down, but before things started to go down Correct. and you had to disrupt yourself. Can you just talk more about how you've applied it to what you're doing and also kind of explain that whole mindset? So, I mean... I always say, and I I lead with looking in the mirror around it, and then to my team and to other colleagues in the university or in the ed ecosystem, which is that imagine if you were the last general manager of a Blockbuster store. And they had a Blockbuster in my neighborhood that I used to love. And my wife and I had a number of dates there. And for a younger listener, younger listener, can you explain what Blockbuster is? What is this this Blockbuster? You know, Blockbuster (laughs) and Chill was something very different than than Netflix. But uh, so the idea of, being a video rental store where you rent VC- VHSs or, or DVDs, if the last blockbuster manager in America was sitting there probably seeing month-over-month growth, she might have had great sales a month before and was on a trajectory to continue to grow it, not realizing that there was a bigger disruptive wind afoot. And I think that all of us have to ask ourselves in our, uh, in our industries, in our sectors, and the technologies that we're leveraging, how are we really connecting ourselves to those technologies and understanding what's actually happening out there with the tsunami of technology that's there and embrace it with a sense of joy as opposed to engaging in a sense of fear around it. And I think that that's the only way. And look, the largest, the largest learning platform in the world today is YouTube. I look at, I look at my own kids who are 10 and 12 years old and their ability to engage uh, adaptive learning. Uh, where they can essentially learn and teach themselves anything. And if you want to be able to provide a value proposition, you need to be thinking about how it is that you're, you're creating uh, that, those arterial connections to make sure that opportunity like the blood is flowing in the correct, in the correct direction. Or you're going to sit around and you're going to wonder why uh, you're, you're struggling with relevance and your value proposition is diminished and you are condemned to the dustbin of history. Yeah, 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 and and you mentioned uh, City Year multiple times. Um, on the podcast, um, it'd be awesome for you to explain the the amazing work you you've done with that. And I'm not sure if you're still doing sure, that work. Sure, yeah. yeah. So uh, I had the I had the pleasure and privilege of serving as a founding executive director of an AmeriCorps program here in Miami called City Year. City Year is a national organization. It was founded in 1988. And it was really predicated around this, this notion of we do our high school years, our college years. What if every young adult in America were to give a year of transformational service in the name of bettering their community? And City Year essentially uh, got, uh, got, rap- got pulled in to this idea of education reform and how it could help to tackle America's high school graduation challenge. 
And so um, here in South Florida, I was able to partner with a number of different philanthropic leaders uh, and, of course, most notably, the school system and building out the competitiveness of City Year and being able to go from eight schools into 18 schools because of the leadership of a transformational superintendent, uh, Superintendent Carvalho, to be able to help address how it is that we can uh, ensure that more young people have a supporting, supportive environment of a near peer who can serve as a tutor, mentor, and role model. So that was something I was very, very proud of to be a part of. That was uh, in the journey for me right before I was, uh, I was invited by President Rosenberg to join his leadership team. And I think that it continues to validate this notion of the power of service and the idea that Dr. King used to say, everyone can be great because everyone can serve. And I think that this ethos of service with millennials and now the next generation, people who are like my kids' age, Gen Z, is very much about this spirit of empathy and building. It's the reason why when you look at millennials in contrast to Gen Z's, no disrespect to my millennial friends as I say it, is that the number one video game for millennials was Call of Duty, yep. the first person shooter game, mm-hmm. which no, no challenges around that. As a Gen Xer, there's no judgment for me to my millennial friends, but you look at that, the millennial number one video game was Call of Duty, and there's other games as well, but the Gen Z number one video game is Minecraft, which is a collaborative open source platform, which is about building a world together with your friends. Uh-oh. And so that's the thing that really, really excites me, because when you think about the generation, that will be the first generation when you, when you read books like Dr. Michio Kaku, the astrophysicist, who wrote mm-hmm. the, the Future of Everything and others, this is the generation that's going to be the, the, the generation that's going to start to colonize other planets and move our species into being a two-planet species. And so I love that, that they're in those critical learning stages when people like me were playing with Plato, they're actually engaged in playing with technology that's about building these robust digital collaborative worlds with their friends. And, it's and like the digital Legos of the It world. is like the digital Legos. It is yeah. like the digital Legos. And that's what's yeah. exciting, those young minds. The hardest job in education today is... K-12 is challenging. There's no doubt that universities is challenging. But as I like to believe in spending time with teachers that are involved in early learning in K-12, if you were a kindergarten teacher today, you are being challenged in 2018 in trying to anticipate what the world will look like in 2034. And if you use that example and that often quoted quote by Bill Gates, where he said that we often underestimate what is possible within a year. And we overestimate, or the other way around, we often overestimate what's possible within a year and underestimate what's possible within a decade. What about what's possible within two decades? And I think that that's what anyone who's an educator that's connected to young minds, that's what we're asking them to do, to say, what will synthetic biology and how uh, how will that be a driver in the future? Organic computing, all of these other things that right now sound like the land of flying cars and for those of us who are a little bit older, somebody said autonomous vehicles a decade ago, you get a blank stare and somebody would think that you might have drank too much cafecito or something for the day. <laughs> but those are, those are operative realities to young yeah. minds and they're willing to stretch their imagination to JFK said, when we as a country were endeavoring to build the space program in 1961 at Rice University, in talking about putting a man on the moon by the end of the decade, he said that in order to do so, we're going to have to invent certain technologies that don't yet even exist. Yep. So imagine that idea. And I think that that's what young minds are doing. Yep, 100%. And before going into the lightning round, I think um, it'd be good. you've mentioned your work with philanthropy, your work with government when it comes to the future work. Can you touch a little bit more on like what you've done with philanthropy and government in relation to the future work that you haven't covered on the podcast and what other people can do to take advantage of those institutions. Or- so I think one of the really cool things that we've been able to do as an institution, FIU, is that we're here on Miami Beach. We created a strategic partnership with the city of Miami Beach where we have a number of different paid internships with the city of Miami Beach. We've helped them to be able to meet their talent needs across a range of resilience, getting them engineering students that are working on things like sea level rise, getting them traffic engineers to work on comprehensive transit issues for them to become a seamless talent pathway. We've also partnered up with companies like Royal Caribbean Cruise Lines, which is one of the largest cruise lines in the world, where we were able to build a shared use facility on one of our campuses because Royal Caribbean does about 70 off-Broadway shows throughout the year. So we partner with them in this building that now serves as a training ground for RCL staff. It also becomes an active learning laboratory for our performing arts students. And in similar regard, that's in the that's in the creative area. In similar regard, we partnered up with Florida Power and Light, which is a public utility company in our region, and we're able to create a customer contact center on our campus. So students are able to 
have a great gig, like working at FPL while they're at school, a few hours a week. And that becomes a preferred talent pipeline for students that are then working and continuing their engineer pathway to working in one of the world's largest renewable energy companies. So we, whether we think about a public company, like a public entity like City of Miami Beach, whether we think about the work that we've been able to do with the United States Coast Guard and helping them build out their CSPI program, which is somewhat similar to the Army's ROTC, but for, for the Coast Guard, so students are able to get a paid fellowship every month and have a guaranteed job with the Coast Guard upon graduation, that we're leaning into those public, private, and institutional partnerships that are very indicative of where the jobs are going. And also, because of things like Startup FIU and other investments that we're making in competency-based education, we're also equipping students for opportunities in the gig economy, whether they can either acquire or create their own opportunity against their passion and against the needs that are out there in the ecosystem. Yeah. So at this point in the podcast, we do the lightning round. And um, typically, we ask questions about strategies, any advice that you have for the listeners who also want to find jobs to break in or start their own company. We're fortunate today to have Alice with us. And she's lived in multiple countries. She has her own radio show where she advises other entrepreneurs on um, strategies and hacks. And I think you also mentioned that to us earlier that you used to be an investigative journalist. So we're very fortunate to have you on the program. So I'd love to pass the ball to you and see if you have any questions for our guests or for us. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much again. And this is a good one. So what are we going to do, you know, in this transformational change that you guys started doing in job salaries? You know, like how are we going to level our, our playing field with other bigger cities? I think that that's a great question. I think that when we look at South Florida in some of the jobs that are out there, we might have a little bit of a salary differential between what they're offered here in South Florida and other ecosystems. And I say this and all my Miami friends will take a deep breath, but truthfully, as expensive as South Florida might be, our cost of living is still lower than several other major cities. So it isn't a fair example, starting job salary that might have a 15% differential between here and New York or heaven forbid the Bay Area. I mean, there's a <laughs> significant, significant cost differential. Does not mean that South Florida is a cheaper place, is a significantly cheaper place to live. But I think really about that is, I mean, that's something that really goes much more to the businesses themselves. As universities, we want to see students get compensated at a higher level. I think that that's a business community value proposition. We're, we're fortunate that we have this tremendous alignment between higher education, economic development, and also the chambers of commerce. My boss, Dr. Rosenberg, recently served as, he's a past chair of the Greater Miami Chamber of Commerce. So and what other ecosystems do you have the public university president serving as chair of a chamber of commerce really to work on these alignment issues? But I think that there's a lot more that has to be done around that. There's no doubt about it. But I think that, I think that we're overwhelmingly seeing the, the favorable momentum. The fact that South Florida was in the final 20 for the, Amazon, for the Amazon HQ2, which is something which is still ongoing. And I'm fortunate that our team has been able to be a part of that process and helping to support what the higher education component looks like in Amazon. But yeah. more, more to come on that for yeah. sure. So another question will be scalability of businesses. Yeah. So we have an incredible ecosystem. I think everyone on this table, minus one, Gio, who's doing uh, a little bit of uh, Instagram live. Shout out to Gio. Uh, Shout out to Gio. Thank you, Gio. I think all of us, we are immigrants of either states or countries, starting with myself. So we come here, we have to get reestablished as an immigrant, especially if you're the first of the family. and you very rarely or seldomly can translate what you were doing in your country exactly the same here, unless you already established a subsidiary or something like that. So the reality is we base ourselves into a new career or your hobby becomes your career or your career becomes your hobby. So there is a fundamental change and that creates quote unquote startups, whether it's in the food industry or whatever service industry or real, real job creation industry. So one of the things that we hear over and over again is we can only reach so high, so big, so everything. So it's kind of a little bit of a glass ceiling, right, in, in the small business ecosystem. What do you see? What do you see uh, first, you know, in your formation of new talent? What do you guys see coming from uh, the West Coast? Well, before, you know, something 
I love that you you bring that question up and that um, Saif talked a little bit about side hustles before. One of the podcasts that we actually love a lot is is called Indie Hackers. That is started by our buddy. Dang, I forgot his name, but he's a good friend of mine. Uh-huh. <laughs> and but like he 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 has a, a great podcast. But essentially, he Cortland Cortland Allen that's his name Cortland Allen. He got acquired by Stripe, but essentially it's about people that were in the situation where they were either working in a job that they didn't like, they used their skills to do a hobby that eventually turned into something that got a lot of traction, it was revenue producing, and allowed them to make an income that was either providing more than they were currently making and they made them more comfortable and that's kind of like an outlet or it took off enough to where they quit and they focused on that, but it never turned into like a billion dollar company. I think that those things are very important, but in order to go to the next level, to take it to the to the unicorn status or a billion dollar company and, and pass that ceiling that you were talking about before, um, you're going to need to take advantage of things like accelerators that Saif was talking about. You're going to have to educate yourself. You're going to have to surround yourself by mentors, other entrepreneurs that have scaled companies to those levels like uh, Mark Klingman, I think his name, uh, he's based here. He started Second Life. He has like multiple billion dollar exits in the portfolio. Um, and surround yourself by people like that so you understand the principles of scaling things to the next level. But that's, that's my answer to that. I mean, I think at the end of the day, we need to just create more connective tissue between these different sectors. And admittedly, South Florida is on an ongoing journey to acquire and ensure that we're building and aggregating enough angel capital as well as social capital. There are a lot of young people and a lot of people of all ages that You don't know what you don't know, and you also don't know who you don't know. And being able to drive those connections both around financial resources as well as social capital. If you're a health tech entrepreneur and you haven't been able to spend time with leaders at Baptist Health Systems or Jackson Memorial, that's going to do more to help drive validation. And I know that one of the the icons, as I was listening to podcasts that, that these gentlemen have had, Gary Vaynerchuk talks a lot about, Gary V talks a lot about that, which is that if you're 22 years old and you're trying to build the Uber for dog food, that's just not going to be as exciting as maybe the career, the career marketing manager that helped to run food for Procter & Gamble in Venezuela or Colombia, that you want to bet 10 times over on that entrepreneur. She's probably you know mid to late 40s or whatever age she is, she's better configured. But I think being able to ensure that those folks, as they're entering our ecosystem, are getting access to both startup resources in the form of incubator and accelerator programs, angel capital, and then also social capital. Because sometimes those folks arrive and they're out on an island unto themselves and they're not pulled in and things like Emerge or not or other networking convening spaces. So I think we all have to do a lot more around that. But I do think that the starter resources are important. We need to build the farm team mm-hmm. before we start yeah. to think about how it is that we're trying to get those, those top-level trades to use almost like an NBA <laughs> analogy. We have to build the, we have to build yeah. the farm team. On this podcast, we talk a lot about uh, turning your disadvantages into or perceived disadvantages into advantages. And I think recent immigrants, they actually have a big advantage because they re- recognize that they need to invest in themselves. They need to learn a new language. They need to acquire either like brush up on their skills or acquire a new skill. And I think a lot of folks, that's actually a big advantage for immigrants because a lot of folks who are born here and they, they have everything growing up and they graduate college and they fall into these like career pathways that they're not happy with. But those career pathways are just good enough where they end up staying in, the, uh, in those jobs for decades without feeling fulfilled or grat- like gratified. And I think the immigrants could actually like, look into programs that FIU offers or boot camps that provide you with a pretty like, up-to-date skill sets and variety of tech fields. And in potentially like three or six months, you could walk away with an entry-level job or a mid-level job working for a tech company or a software company where you could be making a lot more, but all, at the same time, you're also on a tra- in a career trajectory that's very different than if you were complacent and uh, kind of fell into the job right after college, right? So I think yeah. there's also advantages that people could take uh, now, like when they get to Miami that weren't available 10, 20 years ago, and people just need to be more aware about the, these opportunities. Yeah. And the, to answer, actually to answer both of your questions about salaries and scalability, I think a lot of people use it, but they don't realize that in today's age, it's never been cheaper to start your own business. So we have this iPhone and you have access to the internet. So even though you're based out of Miami, right? We can start a podcast tomorrow 
And we launched this podcast with a very small budget. We didn't have to raise VC capital. We literally invested a couple hundred dollars to buy the microphones and to buy the Zoom. And now we have a podcast that's reaching thousands of people around the country and also in, 50, in over 50 countries now around the world. So I think it, it, it's, it's never been a better time to be an entrepreneur and leverage platforms like YouTube. I think Saif mentioned his son was trading uh, Pokemons. On a, yeah, it was trading Pokemon on the Nintendo yeah. global trading system and the other he's day. 10 years old, right? Correct. So it's all about not just limiting yourself to this mindset that, hey, I need to be reliant on someone else to get a job or on someone else to tell me what I'm worth, but just to go out and be creative. Think about what are the tools that you have today that people didn't have tomorrow and uh, didn't have yesterday and how can you better utilize them? Because I think one of the things that I learned on this trip is that Miami doesn't have state income taxes, right? So if you live in California, you might be making more, but you're also paying higher taxes. If you're living in Miami and you're running an e-commerce business, I think you're winning on both fronts. So you definitely have to think outside the box and think how you can leverage the ecosystem, the educational resources, and also things like Emerge to get connected, start something, and then build something for your community. The other thing is we hear among the small business owners is where to acquire talent, where to acquire talent in an affordable way as a small business, you may have a limited resources or cash flow. So I think that there are a number of different places in which to acquire talent. If we're talking about talent that's coming straight out of universities, as we were ta- chatting earlier, we've developed our talent development network, tdnmiami.com, which really works on connecting rising talent from any one of seven academic institutions to companies that are looking to acquire that talent. I think the other thing that's out there is that there are a number of different robust networking forums that are out there, whether it's women in technology, whether or not it's the great work that my friends uh, Felicia Hatcher and Derek Pearson are doing with Black Tech Week, or another friend of mine, Kanasha Paul, who's an FIU alum with Black Professionals Network, or we've got no shortage of convening spaces. And I think that a lot of those companies that are looking to acquire that talent, what I've seen, the companies that are really successful at it are taking the time to be able to build transformational relationships with that rising talent. Because at the end of the day, everybody wants to be part of a team where they feel valued. And so the extent to which those companies, and I, I get the PNL challenges they have to be able to do so, the extent to which they're able to confer some of that social capital to that market, to be able to be available and become involved in things like Mentor Day and other, other spaces, I think that talent that's out there is hungry to want to be part of teams that are going to be able to see them for the uniqueness of what they bring to the market. And I think that overwhelmingly in South Florida, that's the reason why you see these unbelievably strong teams. The team that Manny Medina surrounded himself with for a number of years and every, every company they've built, whether it's Terramark, whether it's coming together and building Emerge, Medina Capital, the new cybersecurity Sixtera, there's this fanatical team that's around Manny and the, and the leadership that he's created that want to be there because they're all valued. All of them know that they're, there's a reaffirmation of their value. And I think that my friends that I see that are small and medium-sized entrepreneurs that are out there, they're doing that. A great example of that is the company here, Boat Setter, which was founded by Andy Sterner and it's got a CEO, Jackie Baumgarten. Jackie's from the Valley. Andy's a serial entrepreneur, part of the original team of CBS Sportsline. And really indicative of the type of people that are willing to invest. They've hired a number of Venture for America fellows. And I think that that shows that they're willing to invest in rising talent, as well as companies like CareCloud and others that are doing that effectively. No, for sure. And on, uh, on the lighting round, we usually ask people kind of, kind of to take it back to the basics about how would they like start over from scratch if they only had $100. I wanted to switch it up a little bit and ask you, if you were starting out again and you were 17 years old, and potentially, like the whole world was in front of you. You could go to college, you could start your own business, you could go to a boot camp. Like, kind of, what would you do? Since you've you have a privilege of knowing so many, probably so many, so much more information about educational space and also entrepreneurship and just this ecosystem in South Florida. So, what would you do, kind of, as a, if you were an eighteen-year-old? So maybe there's someone else listening who might uh, follow your footsteps. So, three things: I would switch from a traditional learning platform and schedule my classes online. So I'd be able to work around the times of the day where my energy flow is highest, which is probably not 7.30 or 8 a.m. in the morning. (laughs) So that would be the first thing. And the second thing is I would take advantage of every opportunity there was for 
a paid internship or externship or co-op program to actually learn to actually get dirt underneath my fingernails. And then the third thing that I would do if resources would permit permit me to, which I was not really able to when I was that age, but if I were to give that advice is to get out and see the world and learning opportunities in the planet. I think there's a great quote from the one of the early travelers of an era even before Marco Polo, an Arab traveler by the name Ibn Battuta. And Ibn Battuta once said, traveling, first it makes you speechless and then it makes you a storyteller. And so that's something that I would that would be a kernel that I would share to any 17 or 18 year old. And I tell all of them, get out there, get out into the world, beyond the classroom, into experiential learning opportunities and also engaging with cultures. Because in the world that's evolving, if technology is going to be playing an exponentially greater role in everything that we're doing, we need to embrace human beings for their for their worth and for their value and see each other as opportunities to learn and grow with each other and not to see other human beings as algorithms. Damn. Yeah, that was good. So one last question. It's, sure. it's, it might be a little personal, but sure. you're very accomplished. It sounds like you have unlimited supply of energy. I would love to, we always ask about the guests, daily routine. What are some uh, life hacks? What are some uh, routines that you follow in order to get you into this, uh, into this mode? So I think that I have a life philosophy, which is that I take my work very, very seriously and my sense of value for the teams that I'm a part of very, very seriously, but I do not have an ability to take myself seriously. So I think that on the other side of that, you're able to unlock the joy of life. That's one. I think as I've gotten older and my wife and I, we have two children, a 12 and 10-year-old, just being able to channel their energy and their sense of curiosity and their sense of wonder about the world. Those are two things that really, and I think anything else that keeps energy levels very, very positive, I'm willing to embrace the challenges of loss. I lost my dad about five years ago, and he was somebody who was one of, a great influence in my life. And he left me with something that I, I carry with me every single day, which is one of those meditations, which is that my dad was an immigrant to this country and left my sisters and I and my mom with this saying, which is that we honor the American dream by helping others achieve it. And I think that for me, my American dream, anything that I've been able to accomplish is because my father paid it forward for me and my, for my sisters and my mom as well. And I remember the day after my dad's funeral, my son, who was four years old at the time, he knows that I love Cuban coffee. He looked up at me and he said, dad, let's, let's go and get a cafecito. And it was like six o'clock in the morning. And I said, but, and I looked in his face and he said, you know, dad, and the word in Urdu for father's father is Aja. And he said, you know, dad, who Aja was to you, you are to me and Rania. Wow. So it reminded me that it's always about forward momentum and everything that we do and recognizing the beauty of service and, and the beloved community that we're a part yeah. of. And that's what my energy levels is from that. Orange Theory Fitness doesn't hurt a little bit either and some Cuban yeah. coffee, but those things, those values and family and community and that, it's all love, it's all joy, Yeah, is what, that's the, the karma juice that yeah. I try to drink every day. <laughs> In case you thought we forgot about family. We'll, we'll never forget yeah. about family. And, and on that it. note, uh, we're all here misty-eyed thinking about the family situation and uh, we appreciate the gems you share with us. What's the, what's the best way for people to keep in touch with you? I think the easiest way is on Twitter, Scythe305 mm-hmm. is the easiest way. And also LinkedIn. I'm extremely bullish on the LinkedIn platform. Yeah. Probably right after this podcast, I might ask you guys to do a quick LinkedIn video with me. Yeah. I think that's for it. professional networking, for students and for others. I just connected a, a program that was looking to hire more cybersecurity interns with the folks who run that for us on LinkedIn because of a video I shot yesterday. Yeah, let's So those are the two ways. But Scythe 305, yeah. holler on me there. The gram is still more for my friends and family and yeah, we got, my stupid, we da- my stupid dad picks that, that I my, my dad picks that I that I put up there, which are a little bit more kind of like Dre from Blackish, me <laughs> me channeling that. But Twitter and, and LinkedIn is all good. Yeah. Good. And Alice, Sounds what good. about you? What is the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you? Since I've been in the art world for a long time, Instagram images, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> and it. lately I've been kind of following steps, people like you. So I've become an, a LinkedIn, I, I don't know how to say it. LinkedIn, the LinkedIn. LinkedIn influencer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, like I will you. say both. I really don't have any more uh, personal Nathan because I've been in the public light for so long. So yeah. if you really want to send me a invitation for a private yeah. launch, please call me. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. And if you want a website to connect with me and my team, engagement.fiu.edu, all the things that we're, yeah. we're doing 
It's uh, I've got an extraordinary team that I get to serve alongside, and so yeah. that's another way to shout space out to the team, shout out. Uh, shout out to Giovanni or shout out to yeah, Giovanni. For, Giovanni, uh, yeah, uh, Insignaris yeah. Agency. They're ad agency here in Miami based, yeah. Miami born. He's one of those amazing yeah. transformations. He's Dale. providing video coverage <laughs> as we speak. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. No, uh, I'm, I'm loving the Miami love. We're definitely going to be back here again. Can't, can't. Yeah. Wait well, till you hear during Art Basel. Yeah. Was, uh, that's my uh, insanity. Yes, we was, that's when we want Alice to get us the hookups to all of the I best was gonna uh, ask what your gallery parties. with Art. Okay, so we're doing that. Yeah. Yeah, Basel, well, check Miami. it out. We'll Sometimes <laughs> we do pop-up galleries uh, as far as this year, Geo Ride 5 pop-up galleries we okay. have been doing, and it's not summertime yet. Yeah. Uh-huh. So it's incredible, you know, how we are also promoting local talent and integrating it with, with blue chip art, which uh-huh. are like the tradable art as commodities. So we are trying to elevate the playing field from local emerging artists oh. with pairings on blue chip artists. Beautiful. beautiful so beautiful. Alice McLaughlin's yeah. star is my Instagram. Yeah. So okay. next time we're in Miami, by that time you guys have listened to the episode. So reach out <laughs> to us. We'll let you know so we can all Pop do it on purpose. And maybe you can join us. Let's yeah. break in. Let's break yeah. in. Thanks for checking us out. We appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better. If you enjoyed this, let us know what you thought on the reviews by going to iTunes, searching for Breaking Into Startups, subscribing to our podcast and leaving a review. Also, if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech, encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking Into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't let you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. Let's break in.